It is a great joy to be here today at the Advent for your annual Lenten preaching service. My name is Stan Buckley, and I have been looking forward to being here for quite some time, ever since I met your senior pastor, uh, Andrew, on a mission trip to Haiti with our organization. It was shortly thereafter that he invited me to come and to be here uh, for this event. In addition to that, we've had a number of other pastors from your church uh, as well as members of your church on mission trips with us in Haiti. So with all of that, I've been looking forward to being here, to sharing God's Word with you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14, the Gospel, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read a fantastic story involving our Lord Jesus, beginning there in verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, beginning there with the 22nd verse. In this passage, we read the following. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for this time of worship. Thank you for your word. I pray right now that you would take the reading and the proclamation of your word, that you would bless it, that you would use it to change our hearts and our minds so that we might be more like Jesus. And we offer this prayer in his name. Amen. The story that we just read is a fantastic story from God's Word. It's one of my favorite stories, I must say. It's a wonderful story, and it is a true story. What was going on in this text? Well, just prior to verse 22, Jesus had finished miraculously feeding the 5,000 with those few loaves of uh, bread and a few pieces of fish. He then dismissed the crowd, and he told his disciples to get into the boat and to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he went up on the mountainside to pray. Sure enough, the disciples got in the boat, they headed across, and he went up and spent time praying with the Father. Then the Bible says about the fourth watch of the night, sometime between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus had finished praying and he was ready to go once again join up with the disciples. By this time, they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus went out to them. But notice something, he didn't take another boat to see them. He didn't swim out there to see them. Instead, he walked out there on the water. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. There they were. They look up. It's, it's maybe six o'clock in the morning. It's, uh, it's hazy at best. They look out and they see this human-like figure walking towards them. And the Bible says immediately they were terrified because they thought that it was a ghost. Now, before we come down too hard on them, let me ask you, what would you think? 
I mean, really, come on, you can barely see. It's a human-like figure. It's on top of the water. What else could it be but a ghost? But, of course, it was not a ghost. It was Jesus himself. He quickly realized that they were so afraid, and he said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And who spoke up? Well, who always spoke up? Who was the loudest? Who was the most brazen? Who was the most brash? Of course, it was Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. He said, come, Simon Peter, get out of that boat. Come out to me on the water. In verse 29, the pivotal verse in this passage says that Simon Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water with Jesus. You see, it's a fantastic story. It's a marvelous story. And it's a story filled with some great spiritual truths for us here in the year 2017. And the one truth that I want us to really hone in on this morning is this. If you and I as Christians are going to ever walk on the water with Jesus, the first thing we have to do is get out of the boat. Now again, verse 29, that's the key. What did it say? It said that Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water with Jesus. And you see, these two things are mutually exclusive. He could not stay in the boat and walk on the water at the same time. It was going to be one or the other. Either he was going to stay in the boat and not walk on the water or he was going to get out of the boat and be able to walk on the water. It was one or the other. And I want you to notice something else about this passage. While Peter and Jesus were clearly the main characters in this story, they were not the only characters in the story. Oh, you remember what we said earlier. After Jesus dismissed the 5,000, he told all 12 of the disciples to get into the boat to cross to the other side. So they were still there. Peter was out of the boat. The other 11, they were still in there. Now, let me ask you a question about those other 11. Well, let's just set Judas aside for a moment. Let me ask you a question about the other 10. Were they still followers of Jesus? Absolutely. Did they love Jesus? Absolutely. Were they doing their best to be obedient to Jesus? Yes, they were. But there was a difference between those other disciples and Peter. And here it is. They never got to walk on the water because they never got out of the boat. They refused to exercise the faith and the courage necessary to get out on the boat, to have that incredible experience of walking on the water with Jesus. And oh, what an experience it must have been. And you see, it's always been that way. Did you know that? You see, if we're going to know God at the highest level, if we're going to walk with him every day, if we're going to experience him in ways we never have before, it's going to require some faith and courage. And as I said, it's always been that way. In fact, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. You know that famous uh, Hall of Fame chapter that we have in the Bible that lists the great heroes of the faith. And, and it talks about what they did, what they accomplished. And it, they did it, the Bible says, by faith. Now, here we need to recognize what biblical faith is. You see, biblical faith has two parts. Did you know that? Biblical faith has two, faith has two parts, and the first part is believing what God has said. In biblical faith, number one, you believe what God has said, but the second part is you then act on that belief. You see, it's not enough just to believe that God has said something. Uh, that's not true faith. True faith says, yes, I believe what God has said, and I'm going to act on that belief. And then the writer of Hebrews just walks through that list of all the great heroes of the faith. Uh, you remember what he said. He said, by faith, Noah. What did Noah do? Well, first of all, he believed what God said. He believed it when God said, I'm going to flood this world, Noah, and I want you to build this gigantic boat and put all these animals in it. Now, folks, that's crazy. Think about that. It had never even rained before. And he said, I'm going to flood the entire earth. I want you to build this huge boat. And you know what? Noah believed him. 
But he didn't just believe him. What did he do? He set to work building the boat. And here we are thousands of years, and we're still talking about Noah. He says, by faith, Abram, who became Abraham, what did he do? He believed what God said. He believed that God wanted him to leave Ur. He wanted to gather all of his people, all of his belongings, and move to a land that he knew nothing about. But God told him, I'm going to give you that land. And on top of that, Abraham, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a brand new nation from you. I'm going to create a nation that does not currently exist from you. And you know what? Abraham believed him. He believed that he wanted him to pack all of his belongings to go to a new land, and he believed that God would make a nation from him. But not only did he believe it, what did he do? He packed everything up. He got the U-Haul. He headed out, and he moved to this land. But understand something. This land, the directions God gave, there are a lot of directions. Remember what he said? Abraham said, well, Lord, where is this land? I've got everything loaded up. we got everybody ready. Where are we going to go? Remember what he said? Just go, and I'll show you on the way. Abram believed. And then we go to our text today, Peter. Wow. What did Jesus tell him? Come, Peter. Come. Leave that boat. Come and walk on the water with me. I will enable you to walk on the water with me. And you know what? Peter believed him. He believed that Jesus would enable him to walk on the water. But not only did he believe it, what did he do? He got out of the boat and actually walked on the water. Oh, I think also of the great apostle Paul. You remember what happened to him. On his way to Damascus to imprison and to persecute Christians, he was struck down by God himself. And you remember what God told him? Listen, here's the deal, Paul. What's going to happen, Saul? What's going to happen is you're now, instead of killing Christians, instead of persecuting Christians, you're going to now be my missionary. You're going to be my spokesman to the entire Gentile world. And you know there are just two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and Gentiles, and most of us are in this world are Gentiles. He said, you're going to go to the Gentile world, and you're going to proclaim the riches of my grace. And you're going to stand before kings and queens and noblemen. That's what you're going to do. And you know what? Paul believed him, didn't he? He believed that that's what God wanted him to do, that he would stand before kings and queens. And not only did he believe it, what did he do? He took off on those missionary journeys, didn't he? He went on the first journey, and the second journey, and the third journey, and he planted churches, and he made converts, and he discipled new believers. He put pastors and deacons in place. He exercised his faith. And you see, it's always been that way, and it continues to this day. It was 1994. I was practicing law in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with a small 15-member firm there. Been there almost four years, and my wife had come home from work. She had been working at William Carey University, and our twin boys had been born about a year earlier, so she came home to, to be with them. And, and it was about that time that I sensed God was doing something in our lives, that he was moving us in a different direction, away from the practice of law and into full-time vocational Christian ministry. And you see, I wasn't opposed to that. You, you may have heard those stories where people give testimonies where God calls them to a certain uh, vocation, and they, they fight against God, and God chases them down, hits them over the head, and they finally say yes. Well, that wasn't my story. You see, I I wasn't opposed to transitioning from the practice of law to going to seminary and being a pastor. I just knew the transition was too difficult and it wouldn't work. And you see, God didn't, God didn't know that yet, so I shared with him about that, how, you know, I got a, I've got this house, you know, uh, we've got a house, and, and, and we have the cars and insurance, and I have this wife and children that keep wanting to eat all the time, and, and so... Lord, it's just, I'm okay with this, but it's just not possible. Maybe you can get back with me later. 
And it was about that time that I, at my church where I was attending, I signed up for a course that maybe many of you have taken. It's been around for a while. I highly recommend it. It's a course called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And when you take the course, you have a little homework that you do each night. And they tell you to get a notebook or a little journal so you can record what God teaches you while you take the course. So sure enough, I bought my little journal, my notebook, and one night we had gotten the, the, the twins in, into bed and everything was quiet and I got in my chair and I, I had my notebook and I had my workbook and my pen and I remember writing in my journal and I still have it to this day from, from all those years ago. I remember writing, Lord, you're going to have to show me how this is going to work. It's not possible. You're going to have to show me how this is going to work. I put my pen down. I turned the page, and there it was. The first thing I saw at the top of the page was Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I thought, well, you don't have to be so direct, God. I mean, it's just right here. And what I learned was, you see, what God was interested in was whether I really trusted him, whether I really had faith in him. Did I really believe that he would meet those needs and he would provide for me? Would he, was I willing to trust him with those, those things most important in my life, my wife and those little twin boys? You see, because what I realized, God didn't need me. What a shock. God didn't need Stan Buckley to do anything. God could get someone else to do it or he could simply do it himself. He really didn't need me. He was most interested in, Stan, do you trust me? Is your faith really in me? And I have to tell you, church, every time I turned around the next few weeks, there it was, Matthew 6, everywhere I looked. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Everywhere I turn, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so finally, after a time of deliberation and prayer and reading the scriptures, my wife and I, we said yes. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to resign from the firm. I'm going to enroll in seminary, and we're going to go this route. I went and I told the, the partners, uh, the senior partners of my firm, they were very supportive. And then I went and talked to my pastor, and he was very encouraging. He prayed with me, and, and I told him what I was going to do. In the, the Baptist tradition from which I come, at the end of the service, you have what they call the hymn of invitation, and, and people are invited to come down and, and make some type of public decision. Maybe it's to put their faith in Christ for the first time. Maybe it's to join the church or, or share some spiritual decision. And so the Sunday finally came when I was going to come and share that with our church family. I, I'll never forget, I was sitting right about there and uh, the preacher preached it. I have no idea what he preached. I'm sure it was really good, but I, I don't know what it was. But here's what I do remember. We came to the end of the service and the minister of music walked out there to the podium and he said, let's all please stand for our hymn of invitation. Except there was a problem. It wasn't a hymn. It was a chorus. And the chorus goes something like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Allelu, alleluia. In church, it was like God just descended in that moment. He leaned over and whispered in my ear, I told you so. It was just an incredible moment of confirmation of his calling in my life. And I, I'll never forget, I was standing there at the front. He introduced me to the, to the congregation. The decision is going to be made. And, and what churches of, of that nature used to do at that time, though, there would be a closing prayer. And then people in the audience would come by and shake your hand and pat you on the back, say, I'm praying for you, give you some encouraging words. And so there I stood. And the, it was a large church and, and, and about like this. And, and people began to come by. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was one of the senior partners from my firm. 
and he was, he was walking by, and he got closer and closer and closer. He finally got up to me. He's a great guy. I really appreciate him. But I'll never forget this. He stuck his hand out to me. I grabbed his hand, and he looked at me, and he said, Stan, I had the same calling 20 years ago, but I said no. He then released my hand and kept walking. And I have to tell you, for all of these years, what's that, 23 years ago, I've never forgotten what he said. And I've often wondered, you see, he's led a good life. He's made a lot of money. He has a great reputation. He's a wonderful father and husband. He's had a good life. But I often wondered, what did he miss? What did God want to do in his life? What did God want to show him? Where did he want to take him? How many lives were being impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ through that man? But he missed it all because he refused to exercise faith and courage. Oh, I, I left the firm and started enrolled in seminary in New Orleans. And then I went to my first church. I was there four years. It was a small rural church. It was the most wonderful four years ever. Uh, my daughter was born there. They loved us and we loved them. Uh, God blessed and lives were changed. People came to faith in Christ. The church doubled. I mean, we expanded the sanctuary, built a couple of parking lots, finished the family life. And it was marvelous. We then moved to a kind of a county seat town in Decatur, Mississippi, and had another incredible experience. And for, after about four years, God called me to First Baptist Church of Jackson, Mississippi, a large urban downtown church, and had almost eight years of just ministering on a level I never thought possible. And, and after that, God called us to do this work in Haiti. And, and down in Haiti, where, again, some of your members and all of them, we build houses, and we dig water wells, and we put kids in school, and we have churches there. We have two different locations, and we provide jobs, and, and we've seen lives change. We've seen people going from living in mud huts or tent cities into their own brand-new homes, over a hundred of those families. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing like it. And recently we just started our work in the Mississippi Delta because I don't know about Alabama, but we have a few problems in Mississippi. And so we thought we've learned some things in, in Haiti about sustainable community development. Let's come back and apply those to our own state. And we're doing that now. And God's blessing. We're seeing lives changed. And I thought, you know, I've messed this up so many times. I'm so glad that one time God gave me the courage and the faith to say yes, to get out of the boat because I would hate to have known I've missed all that I've seen over these last 20 years. God has blessed enormously. And you say, well, well Stan, that, that's great for those Bible heroes you're talking about. That's great for those, those preacher types, those in the full-time Christian ministry. But I, I'm a member and I have a, a, a secular job. And so that's great for, no, 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 listen to me. Listen to me, church. These same principles hold true for every single follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's the deal. You're never going to have a walking on the water kind of mission trip experience until you first exercise faith and courage and sign up for the trip and go on the trip and watch God work. You see, it's never going to happen otherwise. And you know people have been on those trips, and you've heard their testimonies, you've heard their stories and how it's changed their lives, and you've always wondered what it's like. You'll never know till you get out of the boat and go. Maybe you've always wondered about what would it be like to have a walking on the water kind of experience sharing my faith with an unbeliever because you know how important your faith is. I mean, you're here on a Monday for Pete's sake. Come on. Your faith is important to you. It matters to you. It's meaningful to you. It means something to you. Have you ever shared that? It was a couple of months ago. I was at a restaurant there in, in Madison, Mississippi, and, and uh, I was talking to a, a guy. He's a big, tough guy with tattoos on his arms, very smart, sharp guy. And he had heard the gospel for years, for years. He knew about the saving power of Jesus Christ. He knew what he did on the cross, how his blood was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. He knew it. But he never acted on what he knew to be true. 
And so I shared the gospel with him one more time. And I said, Fred, what are you waiting on, man? Why don't you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you call on the name of the Lord? Why don't you confess your sins and ask him to forgive you? Why don't you become a son of the king? Why don't you become a child of the God most high? He said, well, I think that's what I would like to do. I, I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. I said, Fred, you don't have to be in a church. We can do this right here in this restaurant. He said, really? I said, oh, really? God's everywhere. He's even in restaurants. And I said, why don't you pray? I'd lead you to pray. And right there, Fred poured his heart out to God. He confessed his sinfulness. He received Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, when we said amen, I looked up, and this big, strong, tough guy, and tears are just streaming down his face. It was a walking on the water kind of a moment. And Fred's life's been changed. I've been discipling him and meeting with him. He's been growing in his faith. But here's the Listen. Christian, you're never going to have that experience until you first exercise a little faith and courage, get out of the boat, open your mouth, and share people what we say is the most important thing in our lives. You know what God's done for you. Why not share it with someone else? You say, Stan, well, what if I decide to do that? What if I decide to be more bold where I work? What if I decide to share my faith? What if I decide to go on that mission trip? What if I decide to get out of the boat and I sink? What if I seek to serve the Lord and I fail? Can I tell you something? You probably will. That's encouraging, isn't it? You probably will. You see, I told you our key verse is verse 29, right? It says that Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. You know what happened in the very next verse? Oh, not the next chapter, not the next book. In the very next verse, this same Peter sank. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank right there. And you know what? We never heard from Peter again, right? Oh, not exactly. <laughs> This is the same Peter. You remember that day when Jesus gathered those disciples and he made that incredible declaration? Jesus said, all right, who do you say that I am? And Peter stood boldly and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, on this rock, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was a walking on the water kind of declaration. This was the same Peter who sometime later after Jesus had risen into heaven, you remember what happened? Peter preached and on that day 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom on one day folks that was a billy graham kind of deal where you know you come the buses will wait it was one of those it was a walking on the water kind of a deal you see you may fail and i would tell you that those three churches i pastored you could go to those people right now and they could whip out a list about yay long in 20 pages of all the mistakes i made at those churches all the times i messed up and all the bad decisions and you know what? Every time I do that, Jesus just reached down with his hand, just like he did with Peter, and he lifts me back up onto solid ground. Because you remember, he promised, didn't he? He promised he'd never leave me, and he promised he would never forsake me. And I can tell you, he's true to his promise. What does it look like? What does it look like to get out of the boat? Does it have to be big and grand? Or could it be like rusty? You see, Rusty was a businessman for 37 years, and he retired a couple of times. He's very successful. And about a, two years ago, he came to work with me at our organization, But God Ministries. He's not an ordained pastor. He just happens to love Jesus, and he loves people. And so he works with me in our work in Haiti and in the Mississippi Delta. And I close with this. Uh, the other day, it was about 4 o'clock, and Rusty said, we were at work. He said, you know, I've got to leave early. I've got to get home for our Bible study. 
I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I decided that he lives in a really nice neighborhood. He said, I decided that people in my neighborhood, I don't think they really, all of them go to church, and, and, and I don't think they know the Bible. He said, so I made up a little flyer that we were going to have a dinner at my house. We we're going to have a gumbo. I think that was the key. He said, we're going to have gumbo. And then we're going to do just a basic Bible study on this date. And if you'd like to come, you can RSVP here. And he just put it out to houses on his street. I said, well, how many are coming? He said, just a few. I think about seven RSVP'd, and we'll just see what happens. I said, well, that's great. Well, he went off, and the next day we're at work, and I, I came in. I was doing some things, and I remembered the Bible study. I said, oh, Rusty, what happened last night? He said, well, Stan, you won't believe it. Seventeen people showed up. My neighbors, they came to my house. We served gumbo. I said, well, what would you do then? He said, we had the Bible study. I said, what would you say about it? He said, well, we just started with the basics. I told him there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27. In the Old Testament, you got some law and some history and some beautiful poetry. You have some minor prophets. And, some, and in the New Testament, we've got the stories of Jesus. We've got the history book in Acts, a theology book in Romans. We've got all these letters this guy named Paul wrote. And he said, I went through how long it took to accumulate the Bible how it all came together. He said, that didn't take too long. I said, what'd you do then? He said, then I asked the people just to go around and to introduce themselves because we, we're neighbors, but we don't know each other. He said, I asked them to introduce themselves and to just tell why, where you're from and why you came. And he said, and an hour and a half later, we left. They all left. I said, an hour and a half, how long does it take to say your name and where you're from? He said, Stan, they began to talk. A lot of them said, you know what? I've never read the Bible in my life. Now, we thought everybody in Madison, Mississippi was a believer. It turns out they're not. He said, some said, you know, I've been in church all my life, but I don't, this Bible, this book is so confusing. It's so big and so many, so many different uh, doctrines. And, and they said, well, I've always wanted to know, I've always known it's important, but I just didn't understand it. I didn't know it. And nobody's ever bothered to tell me. I thought this was a safe place that I could come and I could learn about the Bible. That was a month ago, and tonight, pray for Rusty. Tonight's the second night. I don't know what he's serving, but if he serves something good, they're going to come, and he's going to get to share God's Word again. You see, Rusty decided he's just going to get out of the boat a little bit. It could have failed. It could have been that people got angry at him for doing that. It, it could have been that no one would come, but they came. And you see, I don't know what's going on in your life today, Christian. I really don't. I don't know what God's teaching you, what he's showing you, where he's wanting to take you. But I'm just wondering today, are you willing to exercise a little faith and courage to walk on the water with Jesus? Because I can tell you, there's nothing like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, the beauty of it, and the truth of it. Thank you for recording this story and preserving the story of Peter who exercised faith and courage. And even though he would fail, he got to walk on the water with Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you for this story that means so much to us today. And I pray that you would give us the faith and the courage so we too could walk on the water with Jesus. And I offer this prayer in his name. Amen.